loved ones, we've arrived at Lord's Day 14. Questions and answers 35 to 36. We'll read these responsively. What does it mean that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? That the eternal Son of God, who is and remains true and eternal God, took to himself through the working of the Holy Spirit from the flesh and blood of the Virgin Mary, a true human nature, so that he might also become David's true descendant, like his brothers in all things except for sin. How does the holy conception and birth of Christ benefit you? He is our mediator, and in God's sight, he covers with his innocence and perfect holiness my sin in which I was conceived. And now the scripture reading from Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Count others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude or mindset should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it as we consider it this evening. To start off, a, a little story and a lesson from many years ago, sometime around the year 410 AD, a man named Dioscorus, quite a name, Dioscorus, wrote to St. Augustine asking about how to interpret some of Cicero's dialogues. And in his response, Augustine warned Dioscorus of the vanity of worldly learning, which he called ignorant knowledge. And instead, to this man, Augustine commended the humility of the gospel, mediated to us through Christ's incarnation. He urged Dioscorus, this is quote, to construct no other way for grasping and holding the truth than the way paved for us by Christ. But what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean to do theology in the way of Christ? Well, Augustine explained it in this way. This way is first humility, so first humility, second humility, and third Humility, And however often you should ask me, I would say the same, not because there are no other precepts to be explained, but if humility does not proceed and accompany and follow every good work we do, and if it is not set before us to look upon and beside us to lean upon and behind us to fence us in, then pride will steal from our hand any good deed we do while we are in the very act of taking pleasure in it. If you should ask and as often as you should ask about the precepts of the Christian religion, my inclination would be to answer nothing but humility. 
unless necessity should force me to say something else. A great quote, commending to us the way of humility. And that is what is before us, the way of humility. The way of humility that the Son of God paved when he descended from his high place of glory to take on our own human nature and went all the way to the cross. But then subsequently, also, the way of humility that Paul commends to us here in this passage in Philippians that we are supposed to walk in now that we have been found in Christ by faith. And so first, I want us to consider the virginal conception of Jesus, his incarnation in humility. We consider how the Son of God left the prestige of limitless existence behind him, and he came to be found fully in our human nature. How did that happen? Well, as the Catechism says, the Holy Spirit conceived the human body and soul of Jesus in the womb of a virgin girl. Now, it's significant that she was virgin because it meant that there was no competing principle of sin at work in the human nature of Jesus. He became a pure man without the polluting influence of sin because original sin was not conceived with Jesus. His heart was always beating for love. His hands always reached out in mercy. His mind always only thought of what is good. We, by comparison, are all born with original sin which contaminates our human nature from the very moment of our conception in our mother's womb. And that original sin was conferred to us by way of our father's seed when that fertilization of the egg occurs in the, in the mother's womb. Psalm 51, which we read earlier, David says, In sin did my mother conceive me. There he is speaking about that idea, original sin that has so corrupted our human nature that it distorts All of our thoughts, desires, and actions, every faculty of our human nature has been corrupted by this original sin. And Augustine of Hippo was actually the first to coin that phrase, uh, original sin, uh, peccatum originali. Uh, And in the 16th century, in the Reformation, John Calvin sought to recover that doctrine and develop it even more, uh, how we're all sinful from the point of conception. And so Calvin writes this, Original sin, therefore, seems to be a hereditary depravity and corruption of our nature diffused into all parts of the soul, which first makes us liable to God's wrath, then also brings forth in us those works that Scripture calls works of the flesh. And that is properly what Paul often calls sin. The works that come forth from it, such as adulteries, fornications, hatreds, murders, carousings, he accordingly calls fruits of sin. So we're all born with this original sin, and there are different views on how exactly this principle of sin is transmitted from the father to his offspring, but that it happens is an unquestioned doctrine of Orthodox Christianity. And The resulting effects of original sin are more important to us than the precise way in which that original sin is transmitted to us, right? We can all affirm that original sin is in some way like a hereditary curse that we all inherit from our father or a genetic disease that we're all born with, passed down from one generation to the next, 
or also a guilty verdict that hangs over us from the very beginning of our individual generation when we are first made and began to exist. That original guilt coming from our great, great grandfather, the first man of the human race, Adam. And this is why the virgin birth is so significant. Jesus was conceived without the seed of a human man. That means that Jesus was born outside of the federal headship of Adam. We confess that in Adam sinned we all, but Jesus alone was not in Adam. That only applies to Jesus. He alone was not in Adam because he was conceived apart from a human seed. Therefore, Jesus did not inherit the curse of sin. That genetic disease of sin was not passed down onto him and the guilty verdict never hung over his head. He was not born with original sin. There is no competing principle of sin, therefore, at work in his human nature. As we said earlier, Jesus' heart always only beat for love. His hands always only reached out in mercy and his mind always only thought of what is good. And so while we find that in his incarnation, he took his full human nature from Mary's organic body, her virginity was necessary to ensure that he would not carry forth original sin. And that is significant for us as the Catechism says, because it was necessary for him to do that to become our perfect mediator. The perfect mediator, well, the Son of God needed to become fully and truly human in his nature, like his brothers in all things except sin. And so this was absolutely necessary. And here in Philippians 2, the passage we looked at, Paul says that the Son of God, who is the very nature of God, literally in the form of God, he emptied himself. So we can picture the omnipresent one who chose to personally reside not only in a human. Think of this. He came not only to be in a human, but as a human with a body and a soul. And he did this not only for a short time, but forever. Now going forward, what I mean is that now from this point onward, from the point of his conception onward into eternity, the eternal son of God even now retains his human nature for us mediating and interceding for us. And now, of course, his human nature is resurrected in glory, but he humbled himself that much, right? To stay with us, to be with us that much, to be one of us, literally, naturally now, one of us in our human nature. So we see is that in the immigration process, by way of analogy, the immigration process of the son of God coming from the most high, holy place, down to the low, crude place of material existence. In that process, he remained pure and undefiled. He did not contract original sin along the way. He was pure. It was because of his pure and undefiled incarnation that he was able to live from that point of conception onward till his crucifixion under the law of God as our perfect mediator, completing all of God's laws and demands with perfect obedience, not only externally and outwardly, but inwardly in his heart, the true man after God's heart. In humility, he loved God, the Father, and us that much. And here in Philippians 2, Paul tells us that the same mindset that the Son of God came down with is the same mindset that led him even further to the cross itself. 
And there in humility, he died under the condemnation that we deserve, carrying the guilt of our sin upon himself in body and soul on the tree. And so what we see is that there on the cross, Jesus received our sin. But it was not by genetic contraction at conception, no. But by his contract of love that he made with the Father before his conception. I want to repeat that. Jesus received our sin upon himself, not by genetic contraction at conception, but by his contract of love that he made with the Father before his conception. So he came into the world already having agreed to take upon himself the guilt of our crimes and the full force of our punishment upon himself. He came with this mindset of pure humility, thinking the best interest of others above himself. We did not deserve the love of God, but God is rich in mercy and the Son of God loved us despite us. Even though we had depreciated in value so much to the point of becoming objects of God's wrath, children of, of wrath, Paul says, Jesus still considered us more valuable than his own life. How do we know that? He laid down his life for us while we are still enemies of God. What a humble mindset of Christ, right? And guess what? Paul here in the passage we read in Philippians is calling us to have the same mindset of Christ, the same mindset. That means that the Spirit commands us to have the same operational way of thinking in our hearts, not waiting until others are worthy enough for our love, but loving them as they are, despite their failings and despite their weaknesses. God wants us to have that same mindset of Christ. He wants, us, he wants our minds to be conformed to that mindset of Christ. In fact, the original Greek here in verse 5, if you look at it, can and perhaps should read grammatically, have this mindset among you, which is yours in Christ. It is yours already. That means that if you believe in Jesus Christ, this mindset is already your rightful possession. It belongs to you by virtue of your union with Christ. And that's how we get to the, the uh, illustration of Inception. I mentioned that earlier today. That movie that came out in 2010, which was uh, produced and directed by Christopher Nolan. And in the movie, so this particular character by the name of Don Cobb, played by Leonardo DiCaprio. He's a rare kind of thief who has his technology and a team with him where they're able to enter into a person's state of mind while they are asleep. And so he enters into their dreams uh, as a person of their dreams and then steals secret information from that person to then use it against them. And so in the movie, a particular rich client approaches him and asks him to perform a different kind of thing, inception. Not stealing information that is secret and inside the mind already, but rather planting a simple idea into another's mind while they are asleep without them knowing that it was planted. And I love the movie. It's a great movie. I recommend it to you. But how does that relate to our passage? Well, in this way, that if we already have the mindset of Christ, as Paul says, by implication, God has literally implanted within us that mindset without us really knowing it. The Spirit has given us the mindset of Christ, this operational way of thinking. In fact, we begin to think in the way of Christ before we even realize that he has worked it into our minds. What I mean is that we have thoughts of love for God and for others first, 
And then later we realize that we only came to love God and love our neighbor because God first loved us. And so we begin to think in these ways, think in the way of humility, the way of love. But then we realize that we've only begun to think and act in that way because God has already acted upon us in grace first, implanting this mindset within us. And so if you are a Christian, God has implanted that within you by the secret operation of the Spirit. The mindset of Christ, his way of thinking reaches each Christian like vital sap flowing from the vine and reaching the branches. And then the next thing we know is the branches are producing fruit. And that is us as well. Fruit of humility and love as we're united to Christ. Now, what do we do about this practically? How do we get more of the mindset of Christ? As I was reflecting on this, especially with the catechism, I thought about how this might be related to the promise of the virginal conception of Jesus with the story of Mary, his mother. And we find that in Luke's account in chapter 1, verse 34 to 38, if you'd like to follow along, but I'll be reading and commenting as we go. We read there that Mary said to the angel after the announcement that the Son of God would be born to her, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, our question is different, right? We ask, how can I have the mindset of Christ when my heart and mind are not virgin? We're muddied with sin and all different things that we've been exposed to in life. Well, we continue the story. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so God has actually promised to do something very similar for us. The Holy Spirit with each and every Christian, will fill you. And the power of the Most High will put you under his special operation of new life. Therefore, the thoughts and deeds to be born from you will be of God, a work that he is working in your heart by the Spirit. And because our, our hearts are not virgin, we have competing mindsets from our own sinful nature. Our new thoughts that we have that are born of the Spirit are more pure than what they were before, but they are not completely holy as Jesus' thoughts were. He alone who was called the very Son of God, holy unto God. Luke's account goes on further and says, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this in the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So at this point, we still might object to this idea of God implanting humility in our hearts, this way of thinking of Christ, and we might say, that's impossible. This promise can't apply to me because my mind is too tainted and too polluted with sin. Well, you think your mind is like a dirty pool that can't be fixed with a chlorine shock. You might think it's impossible for your mindset to change on certain matters, certain things. You think that filthy pool water in your mind needs to be totally drained in order to give you a clean and purified mindset with love without covetousness. But remember that this is true, what the angel said to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. If you think you can't, that God cannot fix you and your mindset, do you really think you're that special in all of redemptive history? God has never met a problem that he could not resolve, that he could not overcome. Do you think that you are the monumental stumbling block that will finally trip up the creator? No. After redeeming and renewing millions of Christians who've called upon him for salvation, do you really think he will run out of mercy on you when you call upon him? No. 
His well of mercy won't go dry because he is rich in mercy. He is love. He has changed the mindset of millions of Christians before you. Don't think that you're so unique that his promise won't reach you if you call upon him by faith. You aren't going to become that one Christian that Jesus leaves behind or lets wander off without guidance because he is the good shepherd who knows his sheep and laid his life down for them. Even if you think, oh, maybe among Christ's sheep, I'm that one of the 100 that goes off that has been lost. Well, take heart. As Jesus said, he leaves the 99 in order to go and search for that one that went astray. So feeble Christians, weak in faith, though we are, God is strong in grace to weak and needy people who look to him. So ask him to cultivate in you that new principle of life, that new mindset of Christ, which is what Mary did, even though she was faced with this insurmountable, this difficult thing that seemed impossible to her. She said in response, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so God has promised to conceive, implant, and form within our hearts the very mindset of Christ by the Spirit's presence. Like Mary, let us say in response to that, let it be true, God. Let it be true. Make it true. Conceive Christ's operational way of humility into my heart. Let it be, not only to others, but also to me, according to your word. In the incarnation of the Son of God and his descent into death on the cross, we find that the way up is the way down. That God wants us to go low in humility with the promise that he, like he did with Jesus, will raise us up into glory. Another quote from Augustine, he said this, Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You want to plan a tower that will pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundation of humility. So may the Spirit of God implant within us by holy inception the humble mindset of Christ, he who came by holy conception in humility to secure our salvation. May the Spirit continue to guide us toward glory by the way of Christ, which is the way of humility. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time on this Lord's Day, this day of rest and gladness, to pause and reflect on the humble incarnation of the Son of God. And truly, uh, we have only begun to scratch the surface of the depths of your humility and love and mercy towards us. And we will, for all of eternity forward, uh, continue to understand and grow in our appreciation and admiration for all that you've done for us by coming to redeem us from our sin and misery. And Lord, we do ask and pray uh, that according to your word and promise that you would continue to conceive and implant within our hearts this mindset of Christ, this operational way of thinking, thinking of others as more significant than ourselves in humility, loving others, and being willing to lay down our lives in service for one another and in honor of Christ our King. May this be true. For each and every one of us here in this room, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.